everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey Deadbeef Knockreiner. Corey needs a haircut Knockreiner. I thought that's the one we were going to go with. Uh, good, anyways, point, good point. On today's you can, episode... You can tell we'll... by my part. Inside joke, sorry. <laughs> exactly. On today's episode, we will highlight two malware variants targeting Android devices. Uh, but before that, we'll go into the latest in the FBI entering the boxing ring and punching a threat actor in the face. Uh, with that... You get him. Let's go ahead and fly our way in with our drones. With hook, hook our way in. You said boxing. You had all kinds of opportunities to build off boxing. Uppercut I our way in. about boxing. <laughs> Bob and weave our way in. Slip our way in. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bureau. There you go. Go FBI. So let's uh, start this week with a follow-up to a podcast from, I think, exactly a month ago. Uh, we recorded it at the end of July. So by the time you're listening to this, probably about a month. Uh, where we discussed the latest evolutions of what I thought was Quackbot, but Corey quickly pointed out was Cackbot, because there is no U in it. <laughs> uh, if you remember, that episode a month ago was on some recent research from Zscaler, talking about some of the latest evolutions of how the Cackbot botnet malware was being delivered, a move from OneDrive files to using HTA and PDF files attached to emails. Well... Last week, the FBI announced that they had successfully completed a multinational operation to disrupt the CACBOT malware botnet, which they called, uh, probably my favorite operation name so far, uh, Operation Duck Hunt. Um, so CACBOT, as I think we highlighted in the last episode, it delivers other malware payloads, uh, including prominent ransomware variants like Conti and Revol and Black Basta most recently. Um, and as a part of this operation, the FBI was able to gain access to CACBOT's infrastructure, uh, which we'll get into the weeds on that in a little bit. Uh, they found over 700,000 victims worldwide, with 200,000 of them being in the U.S. And they ultimately disrupted the botnet by redirecting CACBOT traffic to a bureau-controlled server and then instructing the victim computers to basically download and execute a uninstaller file that removed the malware and then prevented any additional malware from being loaded through the CACBOT botnet. So pausing for a second, like I always knew CACBOT was big. Like it's one of the more prominent botnets that we've seen over the last, man, five, 10 years. But 700,000 victims is a pretty substantial number. Yeah, almost a million. Um, That's a pretty huge botnet. A lot you can do with that. And 200K in the U.S. is relevant. Yeah. And then second item. So this is yet another instance of the FBI going on the offense and taking down cyber threat actors. And I think we've talked about this in the few times under the context of, you know, Cyclops Blink. Uh, there was the exchange. What was it? Um, forgot the name of the fancy word for it. Proxy logon shells that were being dropped uh, by Chinese-based threat actors. And it seems like lately the FBI has found a legal avenue that so far has not been challenged or at least successfully challenged that lets them effectively, like in this case, they were downloading a file they created onto victim yeah. computers and executing it. And yeah, this is, the, it's, it's an interesting period. I mean, before things like Cyclops Blink, I, I think it was necessary to take that action and they did find a legal avenue of doing that, but... This is the kind of thing that I like the result, but you always worry about just by principle running a file on someone else's computer without their their knowledge, really. I mean, any of that you would not know at all. Now it sounds like they did it very well technically. I, I do trust the FBI. I know there's listeners out there that may think everyone's out to get them and there's a deep state or whatever. But I actually do think the FBI in uh, campaigns like this or, or missions like this aren't trying to gain illicit access to the computers, aren't trying to do anything bad to the computers that they're trying to save, and frankly, actually don't even want to know about them. So uh, we have some personal experience that they try to do no harm whenever they're doing these actions. But it definitely is interesting that, you know, they are now, I mean, technically, 
they're doing what the threat actor is doing. They're using the threat actor's own command and control channel to do it. They're just doing it for a good guy reason. And again, really like the outcome of this, but it, it is interesting that while they found this legal avenue that knowing the security industry and the kind of principle, the worry of if there was ever bad actors in someone as powerful as an intelligent agency, the, the kinds of things you could do with this capability. So I, I do find it interesting, although ultimately I like the result of this whole mission. And so I'm going to preface this with, I'm not a DOJ attorney or a member of the FBI. And so I'm sure I'm getting some of this wrong, but if I remember right from how I've had this process explained a few times and like events that Corey, you and I did, and also yeah. at other events that we've just attended, they're basically using the same legal avenue that they use when they like execute a search warrant on, let's say, a drug trafficker's house. So they get a warrant saying that they have suspicion to believe there is illegal activity going on in the house. They state exactly what it is. They think that there's, you know, a meth lab in the kitchen or whatever. Um, as part of that warrant, they're allowed to go in and collect that evidence um, and any other associated illegal evidence they find while they're in there. Um, and they're able to take that out of the house. And they've been applying that to computers where they say, okay, we know there is malware located in this specific directory on the infected devices. We know it's doing this. We are going to go into that house, that computer, collect that evidence and remove it. And that's effectively what they're doing. It's, I mean, obviously it is not a direct parallel. Like we're talking computers and not knocking on someone's door and taking a bag of drugs. But that seems to be the avenue they're taking in this to justify the kind of offensive actions they've been doing to disrupt these threat actors. Absolutely. And again, by the way, I, I do kind of support it. Uh, to play like the devil's advocate, though, I, I would say that in the search warrant example, uh, even if you're a victim, sometimes you have a search warrant executed on your place, so that's okay. But as a victim, you still have to answer your door. And by answering your door, you now realize the FBI is doing this. In this case, the actual people, while there's a search warrant to search their computer, the victim has no clue what's going on. They have never have a chance to answer their door. There's never a mechanism where they see the search warrant directly. So I, I don't know how this is go will go legally. If anyone does challenge it, it'd be interesting to see one day. But to me, that's the difference with the analogy. In the physical world, it at least gives the victim the opportunity to know something's up. And that in some cases is a good thing, right? Like if you're going, if there's uh, malicious stuff on your hardware and the FBI has to come knock on your door to mention, hey, we need to look at this hardware because there's something bad going on. At the very least, even if you didn't like the FBI, you now know and can look at your own hardware. Uh, so it, it, I, I, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. I, I like the result. I, I don't think there's any malicious intent in it. And I like that they've found a way to, to try to figure this out, but... I'm and curious clear, how the, the more kind of uh, privacy part of the security industry will think about this. Oh, they'll hate it. Uh, but the FBI does, <laughs> they do proactively try and reach out and do victim notification. In fact, they partner with some external like private organizations to try and help facilitate that too. Um, so I, I mean, if I would continue the analogy, I would say that this is more of an instance of instead of knocking on the door, they're breaking it down with the, uh, the old sledgehammer and collecting their evidence and then leaving a note on it saying, hey, we took care of it for you, um, which I guess if we're drawing that line, that is a little more disruptive than a uh, a knock and search warrant to the victim themselves. So I think you and I are in agreement. Like this feels like a case, man, I hate saying the ends justify the means because that's never used in a good context ever. But in this particular case, like the end result is in my opinion, from a citizen of the United States, noble and worthwhile, I'm still, I don't know, even after all of our interactions with, uh, you know, the FBI and like seeing this go happen, it still feels a little weird just from a privacy perspective. And I, I would like to see better, more well-defined laws and legislation to at least like, th this feels like a weird loophole. And I would rather have a actual defined, like, yes, they can go do this to protect national interests defined by the statute or whatever. Now, it feels weird using something that clearly was made before computers existed for something like yeah. this. But that's me getting nitpicky. Agreed. I do still agree that in this case, they just disrupted a 
botnet of 700,000 computers, that's pretty dang good. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're both agreeing here, Mark. I think one of the things that makes it easier for us to accept is we have personal relationships and, and know some of the people that that work on things like this. So we understand where they're coming from and the, the nobility of the mission. Uh, but the reason I care about principle and even the ends shouldn't justify the means. Like I think Stuxnet, I don't want uh, Iran to have nuclear enrichments but I'm not sure if the ends justify the means to open the door of Pandora's box to nation state, super advanced malware, which is now becoming a huge issue across the world. So I, I don't like ends justify the means. Uh, so I am comfortable with it because I know the FBI, but I think the whole principal idea is you leadership changes a lot in government and sometimes leadership can be taken over shoot if you look at the politics in this country there's everyone will have different opinions but there's situations where we have things that some people call an insurrection so i think people worry about too much power in any organization and that's why i really like and reacted to your point of i would rather them have a very specific use of this instead of like you say relying on a old school law for gathering physical evidence have a very good way of doing this that is part of cyber law and even if it's done privately has enough checks and balances with multiple different agencies so that it's not abused ever yep. so we we I both agree. love the current fbi i think i'm absolutely happy with the leadership and the people running it i don't think there's any bad stuff going there but I think uh, there's a reason the founders of our country created checks and balances because they know that bad actors can get into positions of power. Cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a few other bits from the takedown. So the FBI noted they found, quote, numerous account credentials that were compromised by the CACBOT actors. They went and provided those credentials to Troy Hunt and HaveIBeenPwned.com. Uh, they also, the Dutch National Police set up their own website where you can go search to see if you were a victim as well, too. Uh, they also noted they seized $8.6 million in cryptocurrency obtained through this these illicit actions on the botnet. It's a pretty sizable amount of cash. Uh, and then alongside the takedown, the FBI and CISA released an advisory. It's AA23-242A, which details CACBOT and its infrastructure and everything right before the FBI pulled the plug. And there were a few like interesting bits in there. Um, so they highlighted it had a multi-tiered command and control infrastructure designed to protect basically the mothership, for lack of a better better word. It had the 700,000 victims worldwide. Some of those victim botnets would be promoted to what the FBI and CISA called super nodes. Those super nodes were kind of the controllers for little groups of bots. They would then connect to the the mothership through a set of tiered proxies as well too, to try and protect that identity. Um, so you presume the FBI got access to potentially that central mothership control server or potentially the proxies to be able to relay their own commands through. Uh, they weren't specific on the details on how they were able to uh, take this over. A uh, few other, if you're looking for IOCs or IOAs, the FBI did provide the file hash that they used for the uninstaller. You can potentially search through your logs and telemetry uh, from EDR or endpoint to see if that file hash popped up anywhere on your network. If so, the FBI hand delivered it to you. Thank you very much. Um, they also provided some registries to go look at. Uh, CACBOT during normal operations will obtain persistence by modifying a registry under um, HKCU software, Microsoft Windows, current version run, basically one of the auto run directories. Interesting bit from this, though. So, Corey, a lot of the malware that we look at, they, this is a pretty common persistence mechanism to add like a auto start command to this registry location. A lot of the malware I see, they'll add that when it installs itself or set it up. So it's just sitting there and you can at any point in time go review that registry and see that you know indicator of a potential compromise. CACBOT, though, it actually deletes that registry while it's running. And it's only when it sees a reboot occurring on the system that it quickly goes and adds it back right before the reboot. So you can still, if you've got tools like our EPDR that monitors uh, write access to registries, you'll still see it being modified. 
But if you go look in the moment while the malware is running, you would have missed it. That was kind of an interesting like evasion technique, I thought, while still maintaining persistence. Yeah, smart um, of them. Unfortunately, smart of them. Yep, unfortunately smart. Uh, it also sets configuration info in uh, HKCU software, Microsoft, and then just a random string for the uh, the key location. So if you see any of that, potential indicators you were a victim, looking for the file hash is a good one too. Um, but, oh, and the last thing I wanted to highlight, so they gave us the file hash for their uninstaller. The uninstaller was basically a, uh, they used effectively a cryptor in order to hide the actual uninstallation executable. So the uninstaller would go and decrypt the payload from itself and then execute it in memory, which is pretty dang close to what actual malware does to the point where totally. it was getting flagged on virus totals malicious. And I have that, to- That, that, that I found interest. Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought, Mark. Sorry. Oh, so I'm just, my. I think you and I were going to say the th same thing is, you know, at the same time, the FBI is trying to deliver something that doesn't get blocked by endpoint protection tools on the endpoint. And so it makes sense to add their own evasion techniques to make sure it could execute. Well, yeah, I was, and I, to me, it's a good and a bad thing because we just had a discussion about people who might be nervous about the government doing actions on their computer. And I personally interpret this as something they had to do. Again, unfortunately, we know from personal experience when you go up against highly advanced threat actors, whether they're a nation or a highly advanced criminal group, it's a cat and mouse game. It's a battle. Once they found out you're in your, you know, you know of them being in your system, you may be doing an active fight with them. So I, I, per, I presume the encrypted payload uh, was in part to make sure they could properly install their installer because of other security controls that might catch it, but may also be just to make sure the threat actors couldn't easily reverse what was going on until they had taken their action. So I can see great reasons for them to do it. But if you have that paranoia set up, you know, if you're someone that is afraid of the government touching your computer, it would trigger, it would definitely trigger you knowing you're getting an encrypted payload. Uh, yep. Anyways, Absolutely. definitely interesting. Smart of the FBI too, you know, it's good to know. They understand evasion techniques well, which of course they have. I mean, it's how we find the bad guys by finding these evasion techniques. But it's it's interesting how you have to act like a, a a malicious actor sometimes in order to take actions without being caught or stopped by some other application. Yeah, absolutely. So as of right now, like the details are still pretty light on the like actual details of the takedown. But so historically, the FBI has been pretty open about going into more in depth over time about how they did the operations after the fact. So I'm hoping sometime in the future, we're able to see like some of the nitty gritty about how they were able to infiltrate and then disrupt and ultimately take down this botnet beyond just the file that they shared with us. Overall, it's a win. Botnet disrupted. Corey, before we move on, what are your thoughts? Is this the last we will see of CACBOT? Is it gone for good? Uh, I, I think our default answer to that is no. It sounds like it was an operation enough that it might be a rebuild from scratch type of situation, but these threat actors still have source code. They'll learn from how they're, I mean, we don't know how they got access to the panel that allowed them to take control, but the threat actor probably has some ideas. Uh, so, and, you know, source code gets traded, sold. Uh, I'm sure we'll see something that has pieces of Quackbot that maybe is named a new thing or a new variant in the, the future, unfortunately. Until and they I can... The FBI is working on that side too, though. I mean, I, the, the real way to stop these groups is to actually arrest some of the actors. Otherwise, they will just rebuild. Uh, but I do see the FBI always trying to do that and trying to... I mean... I don't think we've talked about, maybe it's in the next one too, but I think when they can reclaim some of the stolen cryptocurrency, which I think was in this one, right? Then they yep. reclaim about 8.6 million. million. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is more effective at, at keeping Quackbot down in the future, not because of anything technical, but because the threat actors, if you dry up how they're actually making money, that will have a big effect. And the FBI isn't dumb. They recognize that disrupting a botnet doesn't mean it's gone for good, but the way they've described it is their options are to either do nothing or do something and doing yeah. something still, you know, adds cost to that threat actor. Their job is to 
their goal is to they can't throw them in prison at least make it more costly and more difficult for them to execute these attacks and to that point rebuilding your entire botnet from scratch is costly big deal and i i think at the very least we will get a reprieve right i mean in lots of different ways there were 700,000 computers out there that may have been DDoSing folks, may have been trying to spread more malware distribution. And even if they do rebuild, you know, it's going to take a few months, if not more. So good job, FBI. And NCSC and all the other, you know, international organizations that participated in this takedown. Nah, it was just America. Go America. (laughs) America. I'm sure our European friends would love it if it was just the FBI reaching into their European computers to uh, fix stuff, too. Uh, <laughs> that anyways. would be a fun GDPR exercise. <laughs> yeah. How to lose friends 101. Um, moving on, though. So last week, uh, Trend Micro uh, published a research blog into an Android malware that they're calling MMRAT. Uh, which is capable of executing bank fraud on victim devices. Uh, they named it after the package name. So if you're not familiar with Android packages, it's similar to Java namespaces where you do com dot, usually the organization name dot, the application name. And in this case, it was com dot mm dot user was the package name, hence the name mmrat. Uh, they noted this particular threat has been targeting mobile users in Southeast Asia since June 2023 or so. Uh, Most of the samples were downloaded from phishing websites disguised to look like official app stores. They gave some screenshots of uh, in Vietnamese and in Thai, including one that looked like a Thai government entity. Um, And at the time of their post, they noted that all of the malware remained undetected on virus total. So it was doing a good job of flying under the radar. And before we jump into like the details of this, I labeled this type of malware that, yes, it is a malware file on Android, but as you'll see, it's going to abuse some of the tools built into the Android operating system. And it kind of feels like this pseudo Android living off the land attack, even though it is on its own a malicious file, just in the way that operates with the operating system. Um, So it relies on a couple of key features, one of them being the Android accessibility service, basically the way that as a uh, impaired individual, you can use like a screen reader on your phone, or maybe something to help you type out using a text-to-speech or speech-to-text. Um, it also abuses the Media Projection API, which is basically Android's way of mirroring a screen on something else, typically a monitor or Chromecast or whatever. Um, because of this, or using these features, it's able to capture user input, screen record content, and even remotely control the device as well, too. Uh, so they noted, again, it masquerades as an official government app or sometimes a dating app. Basically, someone would go search up something from the Thai government or maybe they want to go made, meet a friend or a romantic acquaintance. They end up on one of these fake phishing app stores that has this one with instructions on how to install it. That's how they ultimately get the malware on their device. Um, when it runs, it launches as a one pixel by one pixel activity. Uh, activity is the name of just like a screen UI in Android. So it's a common evasion technique there where you no human can see a single pixel floating around on the screen, typically. Maybe if you're on a super old phone, you have a better chance of catching this. But on most modern phones, I don't think you'd notice a one pixel by one pixel app on there. The, the only um, benefit to low PPI is, is you might catch the one pixel attack if you have a really crappy screen. There you go. Yep. No no more OLED high, high pixel density screens for me. That's a security feature with low resolution. <laughs> uh, so the basic attack flow, the victim's tricked into installing the, the application. The victim then grants it the necessary permissions, which is typically the Android accessibility permissions. It then gathers device information, personal information, sets up a key logger, sends that to a remote command and control server. Then it waits for the victim to stop using their device. It periodically checks to see if they're using it, if it notices it's inactive. The malware then wakes the device remotely. It can unlock the screen and then execute bank fraud. Basically open up your Bank of America or Bank of Thailand app and wire transfer money out of there. Um, It includes screen capturing for server-side visualization of the device screen. And then once it's done, it uninstalls itself and removes all traces of the malware from the system. So it's 
basic, but still kind of sophisticated, and then it cleans up its tracks. Uh, some key features, they noted the command and control traffic. It uses a custom protocol buffer with some predefined messages in it. Kind of interesting. Um, it can gather information, including network data, screen data, battery data, the installed apps you have, and your contact lists every 60 seconds. Trend Micro thinks that the contact info is to help scope it to a certain geographic region, probably based off the names that it sees in there or addresses. It can say, okay, I want to target people in Hanoi. Uh, well, then look at their contact list, and that's probably applicable then. Um, it can automatically grant additional permissions to itself by launching the permissions request dialog and then using the accessibility features to find the OK keyword and then click it. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Obviously, the user would see that if they're looking at the device, but if it's you know sitting in their pocket or whatever, the phone will wake itself up and grant itself more features. Kind of dang creepy. Um, another thing they noted, so typically with bank fraud malware on mobile devices, it limits key logging to just when the victim is using like a banking app. In this case, it logs every single action the user takes on the device and ships it back to the command and control server, generates a ton of traffic along the way because of that. Um, it has a capability of detecting when you are unlocking your phone, either through a pin or like the pattern thing on Android, and it will track that, send it to the command and control server so it can replay it using the accessibility features. That's how it unlocks the device. Um, and then it has two different ways of recording the screen. The first preferred one is using the Media Projection API. It's basically Android's built-in way of mirroring a screen somewhere else. But there's actually some security features in there. There's a flag that other apps and your web browser or websites can use called Flag Secure that prevents screenshots and screen recordings. Um, and that prevents basically this Media Projections API from working. I would when assume most mal- banking apps would have that enabled. Unfortunately, yep. the but we're about to hear about might take more work, but you're going to tell me why that that Correct. doesn't really help your banking apps. So when it encounters one of those that has that flag set, it uses this custom user terminal state, as they call it, um, that basically abuses the accessibility service to recursively dump all of the text from the the child nodes of that screen. And so basically it gets like a text version of whatever the page is, Obviously makes it a little more difficult for the threat actor on the other side to reconstruct it because they don't have the full GUI. They just have the contents of the page. But because it doesn't rely on that media projection API, it bypasses that flag and still allows them to effectively still gather everything on the screen. It's a kind of a clever workaround. And really, this is showing how dang powerful that accessibility feature and uh, permission set is. Yeah, I guess you think if you have a blind person, you'd probably have to in text describe everything that's happening. So you don't really need a screen recording so you know what's going on nowadays. Yeah. So when it comes to like takeaways, the ones they highlighted were only download apps from trusted sources. That's an obvious one. Regularly update your device software and just be cautious about granting permissions, especially accessibility. And I have to admit, I think the last time that I granted accessibility permissions was like one of my password managers, I think the Authpoint one, because it's the same permissions they use to put an overlay and allow you to copy paste text into an app or a website. Um, yes, Corey, are you hinting at something? Oh, oh no, I'm not, not hinting at anything. You were just giving uh, possible fixes for this, you know. <laughs> As you hold up your iPhone to the camera? What? Because we all know what? iPhones are unhackable, correct. <laughs> Look, we both say that Max Unhackable is BS, but when is the last time you read any one of these mobile threats that was out of context of Android? The one thing Apple has going against them and for them, against them because I like having control of my devices, but for them is the closed-ass garden. Uh, I, I it, Apple phone issues can can happen. I'd follow Patrick Wardell if you want to know how Mac OS and iOS has problems. But uh, this isn't the only Android thing we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Listen here, smartass. Uh, <laughs> that walled garden is looking like it's crumbling down here soon. Apple is on the losing end of a lawsuit right now with Epic Games, I believe. Yeah, and Epic is going to force us to numbers. get malware. 
<laughs> By the way, I do think Apple is going to be using security as one of their primary defenses. Yeah. I, in that case, by the way, actually side with some aspects of what uh, I, I do think the the BS of forcing people to to pay extra and not be on a plat. I, I mean, Apple does have too much power in some cases, monetarily yeah. and financially. So I'm not against Epic, but security will be their defense. Yep. And I do agree that Apple's walled garden is a strong security feature. There's a reason that vulnerabilities that can gain execution on Apple devices are worth millions of dollars uh, because it's so dang difficult to get past it. Whereas Android, you trick them into sideloading an app and boom, there you go. Uh, I will say Mac OS by definition, because they started as an OS that had to uh, immediately allow you to say, okay, I will allow apps from non-sanctioned developers. I don't, I'm not as confidently hope, holding up my MacBook for this, you know, uh, MacBook, don't, don't take me wrong. Apple is not bulletproof. Mac OS is something I would have a lot of security software for. I just, they, they put a lot of time into both their walled garden and secure boot on the apple phone and android is doing a good job too but they definitely allow things to be a bit more open and customizable to and that apple goes both credit, ways while we continue down this apple boy fandom right here uh they are actually <laughs> making efforts in mac os to harden it not to the same degree as ios but uh what the heck is the name of the acronym for the controlling act like rootless on mac os as well too which we've yeah, seen I know what you're talking about, about bypasses to it but they actually it's 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 pretty dang powerful how they restrict uh some permissions to just things explicitly signed by apple uh with yeah. the correct permissions granted to them so and while I'm I, I'm mixed as a per, yeah I'm mixed on their M1 their own chipsets because I don't always like system on the chips I like dedicated GPUs in some cases uh, I I actually think the fact that they now have their own compute their own CPU and their own chipset just means that their their TPM like enclave is just going to get stronger and stronger and things like rootness and signing is purely completely under their control all the way down from the chipset at this point so yeah there's benefits to controlling everything unfortunately as we continue to let them control everything one day they're going to put the pressure on and make us pay through the no not that they're not already doing that. One day Apple will make you pay through the nose. <laughs> That's implying that today and the last two decades are not that day. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you think about uh, how much we already pay when they let us do a few things on our own, imagine how it's going to get when they control the world. They yeah, were the first okay. company to be worth a trillion, right? <laughs> That's also implying Apple doesn't already control the world, or at least the United States. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> but so back on to MMRAT, though, um, on Android devices, like the accessibility permission, I feel like is one where maybe there does need to be some more prominent security warnings on that permission specifically, too. And yeah. I mean, my original point with this, with the password manager was that's it's been a while since I did that. I don't remember exactly what the pop up was and if it was any different than any other permissions grant. But the accessibility ones, they seem innocuous because on the face of it, it's accessibility. It's not super sensitive, secure, can override everything in keylog you permissions. So maybe there does need to be some additional like prompts to go through of, hey, by the way, this could allow it to blah, 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 blah. I think you're so right because it even happens like we on Mac OS, we use things like Teams or Zoom. Everyone uses that nowadays in business. And when you first set it up and the first time you do screen sharing, even on Mac OS, you're going to get an accessibility setting to be able to display your screen share. And it's just, it, I don't think it's intuitive for it. Like everyone thinks of accessibility and thinks of helping people that are differently abled. Right. I, like I, which I get. And uh, either if you're not differently abled, you may eventually just want to say no to that, which could break things because why would you need an accessibility setting if you're not, but how does screen sharing naturally intuitively tie into, to accessibility settings? In my opinion, it doesn't. I understand why it's there because actually there's a lot of, I, I, I get why you have to get applications permission to figure out what's going on in the screen so that they could actually translate it to whatever, you know, uh, 
ability a person has. But I, I, I agree that it's a weird permission that you might think is innocuous and okay to add, but you don't realize all the power that that particular set of settings has. Yep. So maybe we will see something addressing that in the future from, from Android. Uh, or maybe we'll need to see more of it from Apple once they open up their walled garden. Uh, uh, actually, happy. what I was going to say, Mark, is since I gave Apple some security credit, I was going to say, yeah, we should see that happen from Android and then Apple will copy it because <laughs> Apple does not make features. They don't. They're not innovative at all. Anyone uh, that I thinks mean... Apple is innovative is an idiot. Every big feature they've had, they've copied and they, they were fifth the market with it. They just found out the perfect timing where it was finally ready for mainstream and added a few tweaks to it to make it better for the average consumer. But they don't innovate. I'm gonna give one minor counterpoint to that. The dynamic island on the new iPhones is pretty dang cool and a good way of making use of what used to be an ugly notch. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they introduced the ugly notch in the first place. Correct. The, their innovation is trying to make their barf less smelly. <laughs> That's our podcast title, making barf less smelly. <laughs> Anyways, uh, as Corey hinted at, this is not our only Android malware story. Uh, to close out this week, uh, the UK National Cybersecurity Center, and that center spelled a little funny with an E on the end of it, uh, published an analysis alongside... Those freaking Brits need to learn English, man. Come on. <laughs> learn to spell from people that really know. Historically, we, we know so well here in the United States. Why are you adding that weird E? We definitely Sorry. have the best words, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they published an analysis alongside the USA's NSA, CISA, and FBI last week, detailing a collection of Android malware components, which they are calling infamous chisel i don't know what the relation is for that i do know that ncsc and the fbi like to come up with pretty funky and sometimes suspect names and this is going in that category <laughs> um so they believe that these tools were developed by sandworm which is the name given to the russian gru military hacking unit that Corey and i both passionately hate with every fiber of our being um yeah. The they're not the malware. cool writable sandworms from Dune. They're they're a-hole sandworms. The crappy ones. That 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 you can ease step on and crush under the heel of your boot. America. Uh, <laughs> the, the malware includes functionality to enable persistent access to infected Android devices over the Tor network. It also periodically collects information um, about the victim devices and exfiltrates that out to the threat actors can identify information like the system device info, uh, applications installed on it, including applications specific to the Ukrainian military. You can see where some of that attribution might come in here. Uh, so if I found it in, that that was very interesting. If you read the very technical paper on this, I like that they, they, they list out all the commercial applications and directories you'll, we'll talk about probably later that this malware looks at. But I love there's always at the end, and some military applications, but no details about directory structures. <laughs> so I, I, I thought it was cool, but also like I immediately wanted to know, hmm, <laughs> I wonder what kind of applications those are and what their directory structures look like. I want to believe that they're using like a hacked version of DJI's like drone controls to fly their little oh, cardboard drones into a Russian target. If, if they're doing that, I hope they're hacked. Other, otherwise, one of our predictions will come true. They better not be using off the shelf. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyways, uh, so additionally, this malware actually has the ability to scan, like you mentioned, local files to gather uh, interesting information based off of a predefined list of ex uh, extensions. It can also periodically scan the local network to gather information about active hosts, open ports, and banners for services running on those ports. And then it can provide remote access through the Tor network with a hidden service that forwards basically a modified drop bear binary, drop bear being a kind of popular, at least from Russia, um, SSH server executable. Uh, so in their advisory, NCSC described several different components. There was one called NetD, uh, which performs automated information collection and exfiltration. 
There is killer, which is responsible for killing the NetD process, probably for evasion purposes. TD, which is the Tor application with no obvious modifications. Blob, which is used to configure the Tor component. TCP dump, which is TCP dump with no obvious modifications. And then NDBR underscore ARM71 or underscore I686 or just DB, which is this multi-export utility that includes Dropbear, SSH, SCP for file transfers, NMAP, and quite a few different other applications as well, too. Um, so, By the way, just a, a side here, the, you know, well, I'm sure you'll talk more about it too, but looking at things like their Tor, use of Tor, their uh, multiple versions of uh, like X64 or 32, it, 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 we're starting to get sandworm. You can definitely see how tools, tactics, and I always mess that up is tools, techniques, and procedures. Tactics, Anyways, techniques, and tactics, procedures. and procedures. Thank you. Uh, you can kind of start to see that as you look at these threat actors for sure as we learn how they use things like tor and even some of the other scanning and things this malware does yep so they the uh, ncsc doesn't actually know how they initially like gain the permissions to install this tool set uh, but they do know once it's running it maintains persistence by replacing the legitimate netd system binary with their malicious one instead it actually backs up the legitimate one to netd underscore in the same location. And when the malicious one gets executed, it will then go fork and execute the legitimate one and pass through all command line parameters that allows it to basically retain its functionality and allows the malicious one to execute as root on the system. They don't know how it got there, but they know that's effectively what happens when it gets there. Yeah, I was interested in them not knowing how it got there, though, only because NetD is a core component and require it, it would, we, in my opinion, I think it requires root in order to replace it in this manner. Yep. So they must have gotten root at some point. So this isn't just a flaw that's a local user flaw, whatever, whatever they're exploiting, they're doing something to get root on an Android device. Which, if these are targeting military Android devices, that becomes very interesting. That's very significant. Quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, because you have to imagine, like, I can't imagine the, well, actually, maybe the Ukrainian military is getting phones shipped from Best Buy and shelf. tablets shipped from Best Buy. It's possible. I hope actually, not. It's, yeah. I hope not. But I you would think that they'd have, like, hardened, especially hardened systems. Yeah, when so you think about our White House, who wouldn't give up BlackBerry forever until they started accepting, you know, hardened, specialized versions of Android phones, you'd hope other states could do that. But I guess that has to do with your level of finance, resources. resource, and effort. Yeah. And then uh, that, that all is stuff that's probably starting to flag with Ukraine without support from the community. So I was going to start that sentence with, I'd be surprised, but they're literally flying drones yeah. made of cardboard. Uh, yeah. And so maybe they do just have to resort to off-the-shelf well, sometimes. On the plus side, they're doing pretty kick-ass things despite yes. the cardboard drones. It's amazing what they, they're doing. Don't get me wrong. The, the drone wars are now the most interesting thing that I <laughs> in my life right now. And how we're going from, you know, these well, first Predator drones that cost millions of dollars to like the equivalent of a DJI Maverick to now oh, literally... Wow. It's made of folded cardboard with a little propeller and bombs inside. It's crazy how much like they're innovating. The only downside of this is that as a drone enthusiast that has no desire to spy anyone or blow anything up, I the fact that they're showing the... Like before, everyone talks about the worst case of how you could deliver stuff to criminals, blow things up, and, and I, I was like, people don't do that, so stop regulating me. But uh, unfortunately... <laughs> The, I, I agree with you on the drone wars being interesting, but they're starting to prove the fact that it actually doesn't take a lot. So I hope no, they still let not. hobbyists like me have fun with drones too. <laughs> I don't want to hurt I gotta admit, this will probably put me on an FBI watch list, but I have at least a little bit of a desire to blow stuff up sometimes, especially with a cool <laughs> drone. Obviously uh, nothing would harm uh, people or yes. other people's property, but it would be pretty dang uh, cool to go I'll fight give and you a that. Sheep and blow it up. Yeah. If it's fireworks, if it's Mythbuster type thing in a safe environment, that would be very cool. <laughs> but yes, I'm just exactly. saying, when I'm flying in my own neighborhood, it's usually just for fun, and I'm not trying nice to idea. look at anything. <laughs> yep, agreed. Uh, so anyways, back to the Android malware. 
Um, so we mentioned how it gains persistence. It can grab information from some predefined locations. It's got a few like hard-coded lists of directories for popular web browsers like Firefox, Chrome, uh, uh, Edge, whatever. It has directories related to cryptocurrency wallets and Binance and Coindesk and stuff. By the way, that was a surprise, Mark, because this is obviously a Russian threat actor. The VPN, the, like they also are, besides the military directories, which you know exactly why they're looking at those, The I, I get the VPN in the messaging apps like, uh, what is it, uh, the one I Telegram never use because it's shady. Yeah, Telegram specifically. I mean, Telegram people use it normally, but... I feel like you're on FBI watch list just when you install that. Uh, but the crypto wallets, that is all financial. I guess I could see yeah. one way you use that in a more nation state as, you know, draining someone's account is a is a form of threat and, and stopping them from. But that seems almost more criminal. But I wonder if they're kind of turned, if Russia... It seems like Russia's having more and more trouble with this particular silly war they've started with Ukraine for no good reason, and even internally are starting to have, you know. So I, I, it just was weird for me to see crypto wallets. Are they doing that because they want to mess up Ukraine's finance by stealing, or do they actually need money because of sanctions in the similar way that North Korea is? Never I don't, I don't know. I just North thought the crypto, Korea. yeah. It's weird. It well, that's a that's a good rule to live by, Mark. I feel like Putin might be going full North Korea. Yep, exactly. Uh, back to the Android malware. Uh, so it also has Nmap as a utility to scope out the network. Uh, it's a stripped down version called Minimap that it uses. It also has that drop bear tunnel, which has actually a little slightly modified authentication mechanism that they noted in this report. So normally, DropBear will use Etsy, PassWD, or Etsy Shadow uh, as a more secure location. Where you store on password machine. hashes. Yeah. yeah. Um, to if, and if you're not familiar with the differences between those, Etsy, PassWD, anyone on the system has read Bad. access to it, meaning anyone can view the hash in there. Etsy Shadow, only root Good. has permissions to read out of there. Yes. <laughs> um, so they've instead modified the drop bear authentication mechanisms to check for a hard-coded user or a hard-coded uh, GUID of, I think it's dead beef, another favorite command of uh, Sandworm. And it only checks Etsy PassWD or Etsy Shadow if that hard-coded username or UID is not there. Um, and then finally, the white paper noted that some of that authentication mechanism stuff, and especially with drop bear specifically, overlaps with the VPN filter malware, um, which is the predecessor to the Cyclops Blink malware and appears to be an evolution in this chain that the uh, Sandworm has been doing. So there's some more little bits of potential attribution as well, too, pointing it to Sandworm. But I guess we've kind of already talked about this a bit. It's The military targets on here make sense why the GRU would be targeting mobile devices, but it seems like there's potentially civilian or non-military targets of this as well, too. Now, we didn't get a list of the actual victims from the NCSC at all. Um, I guess we could do some proactive threat hunting with some of the hashes we have and look up who's uploading to VirusTotal. But I, it, I, knowing Sandworm's modus operandi, they don't seem to shy away from targeting civilian victims with their threats as well. So, Another thing not that great. North Korea is good at. Targeting civilians in movie studios? Yep. <laughs> So if you are an Android device owner, I guess be very wary of rooting your device or allowing permissions or downloading stuff from shady locations. With power comes great responsibility. Exactly. Apple just takes away your power. <laughs> a correct statement. Uh, and they charge you an extra $200 per device for yeah. that. No power and pay more. Exactly. But you get a shiny little Apple and a sticker that comes in the box. Status symbol. Yes, exactly. That's I'm tired of being blue checkmark shamed. <laughs> uh, but I guess, I don't know, same takeaways. We don't know exactly how they got on the devices. That is one massive clue that still needs to be uncovered. But it is still interesting seeing some of the latest tools exposed like this. And uh, I don't know. If you are a Ukrainian government agent, maybe be careful of what you install on your 
Android application or your Android tablet. And I'm just saying it in a different way, but I think the reality is five, seven years ago, Mark and I would talk about nation state act or, or, you know, state sponsored actors. And it was interesting. And we would warn you that the techniques would trickle down to cybercrime, And that's why you need to learn about them. The truth is every private citizen, even a small to medium business, you are now under threat of state sponsored actors. VPN filter proves that bef before even Cyclops blink with off the shelf Linksys routers. So if, if you think these super sophisticated nation states don't care about you, you, you're wrong. You know, they may not directly give a crap about you, but you're a gear in the machine that they can use against other states as they've shown in building their botnets or going after random mobile devices now. So uh, more sophisticated cybersecurity, unfortunately, is required even for smaller victims or smaller organizations, and I should say. I'm normally the one that ends with the doom and gloom for the episode. This time it was you. I don't oh, have sorry. anything happy to say. We're all screwed. <laughs> Hey, but we can enjoy our our fun drones and blow shit up before before it all ends. Uh, sorry for well the beeping editor. <laughs> well said, Corey. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, or if you want to just yell at us for making fun of Elon Musk all the time and the terrible decisions he makes, you can reach out to us on X or Twitter or whatever. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the 443 podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear us ramble on next week. Goodbye. <laughs> I love that ending. Mark takes tips in NFT too, by the way. Ha, 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 ha.